Hello, everybody. We're glad you're with us. As we continue on in our study that we're doing in uh, and through right now the book of Matthew, we're, we're going to tackle the entire New Testament a verse at a time. We're doing a chapter a week, and uh, at this pace we'll be done in five years. So uh, buckle in and uh, don't make plans to move or leave or do anything like that. And never miss a Wednesday night. Um, Obviously, that's not going to happen. Uh, Matthew 13 is, is uh, as you can tell, a little bit longer than some of the other verses, so the font's a little small in your notes. Sorry. Um, it's a little bigger in the Bibles. There's some few Bibles. You may want to open up there, uh, or if you have your own Bible, that's great. Matthew chapter 13. I will read it to you, uh, to you so if you can't see it, um, uh, it's okay, because I'll read it to you, and you can just sort of spot check me on the words and read it later. But uh, let me read it to you. We're picking up. The action in verse 1 of chapter 13 of the book of Matthew. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. And then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the bird came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the world, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it out, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the weeds sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered. Because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together 
until the harvest. At that time I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Joe. I was about to say Jesus, and I hadn't finished dough yet. And if you do that real fast, you get Joe, just so you know. But it's Joe, J-O-U-G-H. <laughs> That's funny. I, we got that on tape, right? <laughs> That's what I call Jesus. Me and him are like this. It's a little nickname, Joe. <laughs> Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. And then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out His kingdom. Out of His kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then his joy, in his joy went and sold all that he had. And bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things, Jesus asked? Yes, they replied. And he said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't, this, isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Matthew chapter 13. All right. So, a lot of stuff in Matthew chapter 13 that I do want to talk about with you today. And um, one of the advantages of going through the Scripture as we're doing week at a time, verse by verse, is that you you sort of get a feel for what's taking place. And it's important at this point that we, we sort of have established where we've been. 
Now, you remember we started by talking about the birth of Jesus and then his early life and the things that happened. And then uh, you move into the baptism of Jesus and the temptation. And you move right out of there into what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthews 5, 6, and 7. And then right in chapter 8 through chapter 12, you see Jesus demonstrating the kingdom and all, those, all the miracles that take place. And one of the things you need to do is, um, the way that you can sort of figure out where stuff is in the Bible is if you have an idea of what kind of happens throughout the, the text, then you, you can sort of find stuff when you need it. And so it's sort of the, the way that you figure out where things are in the Bible. What I do with Matthew is, I, I always remember Matthew 5, 6, and 7 as a Sermon on the Mount. And it's easy for me to find anything I know, because if it was before the Sermon on the Mount, I know it's got to be in those earlier chapters, and if it's after, it's in these later chapters. Um, and uh, certain things start to happen. In, in 8 through 12, there's a lot of miracles that take place. I, I remember that. And then starting in 13, the parables start to pop up. And so there's, there's a way to sort of feel your way through the Scripture as you read it to hold it all in context as you go through those things. So, so we've read about all those things. And remember, if you take it back now in context to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches the people all these things that totally have undone the teaching of the Pharisees. Remember, he, said, he keeps saying, you've heard it said, but I say to you, and he's undone this big mess that had been in existence. And then he not only has taught them these things, he goes in, in chapters 8 through 12, and through many signs and wonders, he's demonstrated that indeed the kingdom is upon them. See, his teaching is about the kingdom. From the beginning, he taught the kingdom of heaven is here. And then he demonstrates that the kingdom is here by these amazing signs and wonders that he does. You remember last week, I, I said that, that primarily it's a discourse between Jesus and um, the Pharisees, and, and, and before that, Jesus and, and the disciples and the crowds. Now he's sort of talking to the crowd and the Pharisees in, in, in chapter 12. And he was, he was um, sort of giving them this place. And they had to make a decision. I talked about the fact that the Pharisees had to decide if they were going to hear what Jesus said and, and see all of the things that happened and decide that he was indeed the Messiah or they were going to reject him. And that what we've built up to now is that, we, we saw last chapter, they've decided that they're going to reject him because he didn't fit into their image of who Messiah was supposed to be. He didn't come the way they were supposed to. And, and so what this does is, is trigger now Jesus begins to teach in parables. And, and he, he does that because people... See, the parables um, seem to cloud the issue, not make it plainer. Because he was teaching very plainly. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, his teaching was very plain. He just said what needed to be said. But, but understand what's happened here. He's presented the kingdom, the message of the kingdom, very plainly. And then he's demonstrated it with signs and wonders very plainly. And they've chosen to reject it. And so now, it, it's only going to be for people who really want to plug into what he's saying. They're the ones that are going to get something out of it. And the other people aren't any longer. That's why there's a shift there. And it's prophesied, and there's two prophecies that he talked about uh, that he's fulfilling in the process. Though, though hearing, they'll never hear. Though seeing, they'll never see. It was all prophesied that they were going to reject him when he came. It would be all in front of them, and they would go, no. And so the parables that Jesus goes through here, there's seven parables, and, and all of them begin to bring into this concept uh, uh, what the Pharisees couldn't take, and even what the, the Israelites didn't understand was they all had this idea of what was going to happen when Messiah came. Remember, we've talked about this in, in every series. They were all waiting for the establishment of a political kingdom 
in Israel at that point in time that would overthrow the occupation they were under from the Romans and they would set themselves back up to the return of the kingdom like it was in David's times. That's all that they can think of. That's what's supposed to happen. Jesus isn't doing that. And, and so because he's not doing that, they reject him and he begins to, um, in these parables, teach them uh, or if they, were, if they wanted to hear, the, the idea that he has to come this first time to do what he's doing, that he's coming back again. And what they're expecting to happen is going to happen when he comes back at his second coming. Uh, when he comes back again, the things they're, they're expecting are going to happen then, but that's not what he's come to do this time. He, he come, he's coming as a lamb this time. He'll come back as a lion. They're looking for the lion, and they can't, they can't deal with the fact. That, so they just completely reject him, even though he has clearly demonstrated with his teaching and backed it up with the signs and wonder that the kingdom was here so that if they wanted to, they could receive it. If they wanted to, they, they had more than enough data and information to decide that he was indeed the Messiah, but they chose not to, some of them, a big, big chunk of them, right? And, and so that's what happened. And so you have to understand the parables in light of this whole process because um, even the disciples don't get it. You know, I, one of my favorite verses in that whole chapter is when he says to him at the end, do you understand all these things? He's just even seven parables. And they go, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they were going like this. Oh, yeah, we get it. No problem. Because they didn't want to look stupid. They didn't get it. You could tell they didn't get it because of the way they lived out the rest of their deal. They had no clue of what was happening that Jesus was trying to tell them. And, and you know, he says things like, this. see, a, a teacher of the kingdom has, has, brings in the old stuff and the new stuff. You, you got some of it right, but you didn't have all this part. You, you, you didn't see how these things have to flow together. I have to come at first and deal with sin, and then I'll come back and we'll set everything right. And there'll be this time in between. And see, that's what they were getting hung up on. They couldn't deal with this time in between. Prophetically, we always have trouble with time in between. See, when, when, when people are looking at stuff that's going to happen. You, you can't tell where the events fall. And, and so the, prof, the prophetic voice, sometimes it looks like these happen at the same time. And yet there's these things that happen. There's these gaps of time that they can't see. Jesus comes and, and he's come once and now it's been 2,000 years and he needs to come back again. But from back there looking forward, you can't tell that gap. There's still a millennium that's got to be dealt with. There's another 1,000-year gap that they can't tell when these things happen. And so that they couldn't tell that there was a split in what was taking place in, in Jesus. So they, they just couldn't and, or chose not to receive it. A lot of them. Some of them did. And some of them still do. But, but people, uh, we still have the same thing going on. If you, if you really want to plug in, you can find out who Jesus is and that he's real. If you don't want to, it's just as easy to go, it's all fake. I saw something on the internet the other day. And it said, how to, in five minutes, prove that, that Jesus is an illusion. And it's in there. And in, and in five minutes, he, they go through this argument. They take some scripture, which they take badly out of context, that says we're two or more gathered. You can ask anything in my name. You know, two or more gathered. And, and, and they use this other verse where Jesus appeared to the guys on the road. And so he said, well, Jesus obviously can appear. And so if he wanted to. And it says if you ask him to do anything, he'll do it. So right now, stop and ask him to appear. That was their whole argument. Did he show up? No, because he's an illusion. He's not real. That was their argument. Now, they took every verse out of context badly. <laughs> and yet some people will buy that because they want to, right? It's a, they're looking for a reason not to. Yeah, okay, I just don't want to have to deal with that. And so they write us off all the time as believers as not being all that smart and, and you know, kind of silly and kids' stories and, 
And, and unfortunately, a lot of Bibles taught like kids' stories, and uh, the church hasn't helped that. We've taken really difficult stories and, and taught them as kids' stories. Um, you know, really, the, that whole thing with Noah and all the little animals, we have the picture, and we're, we're, we're as guilty as anybody else in our nursery room. That is not a kid's story. It, the, mankind got wiped out. <laughs> right? I, I mean, when you think about what that story represents, it's, it's not pretty. But we've prettied it up. And so a lot of times we've taken those things and they've become stories. And, and for a lot of people, it's like a bunch of kids' stories. How do you believe in a bunch of kids' stories? That's what you're finding. Well, you have to say, well, it's not a bunch of kids' stories. But, but I get how it's been presented like that. But they've, you know, we've missed the point at times. We've, we've sort of changed it around to, to make it cute and cuddly when, in fact, it's most of the stories that we've made kids' stories aren't cute and cuddly. They're, they're horrendous stories of what took place. Anyway, uh, I can go off on a lot of bunny trails. I'm trying not to. So, so we've got these parables now that are being brought into account because they've already chosen most of the people to reject them and not hear it. And so that's sort of like if you really want to hear now, you're going to have to press into Jesus to figure out what he's saying and what he's teaching. And so the parables are understood in light of the context that we've talked about here a lot of the now and the not yet. And, you, and you've heard me say that, that uh, if you've been here and if you haven't, we do a, there's a lot of teaching on this on our, on our internet site. You can go and, and find them on the kingdom of God. That Jesus came the first time and he inaugurated the kingdom. Uh, the fancy word for, for this whole teaching is that we live in an, in an inaugurated eschatology. Do you remember that word? It's the only fancy word I remember. So I use it whenever I can. Oh, yes. I believe in an inaugurated eschatology. That's all I got. Um, and eschatology is the end times, and so we live in the beginning of the end times. That's what that means. It's a, it's a funny way of saying that process, that he's come and he's coming back, and we live in this tension that we call the now and the not yet. It's here now, but it's not yet fully here. The kingdom's not yet fully here, and we've talked about this a lot, but, but it's here in part. And the part that we have is good. It's not as good as it will be, but it's good. It's a taste of the banquet to come, it's a, and a taste is better than no taste at all. It's, a, it's here in part. And that's why we pray in faith and we ask God all the time for what's going to happen tomorrow to happen today. We've talked about that over and over and over again. All right. So with that in mind, then the parables sort of take on a little different meaning of what he's teaching in this process. And really with the disciples, it can only be after they've been around for a while that they begin to understand the, the, the thrust of what he was trying to tell them all along. But let's talk a little bit about the, the parables. Now, the, the first parable is called the parable of the sower, and it's in Matthew chapter 13, 3 through 9. Um, I suppose we should read it again. Drink of water. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, fortunately for the disciples, because they were just like, huh? And they get them a little later, and they say, yeah, what was that all about? And he tells us exactly what that parable was all about in verses 18 through 23, where it says, Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom 
and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since he has no root, it lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the world, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So Jesus comes in and, and he, he tells people what it is. The, the, the seed is the word of God and the, the soil is the condition of people's hearts when they receive it. And there's four different conditions that are listed here. And for some, you know, it's just it's immediately gone when they hear it. For others, it, they get excited about it, but they don't, get in, they don't put any roots in and then it's snatched away from them. Others sort of are moving in the right direction for a little while, but then the worries of the world choke it back out again. And still others really grab a hold of it. And so there, these are the responses to the word. And uh, it's only if you grab a hold of it that fruit is produced in your life. This parable is about that. Some people take this parable and try and... They often try and take parables with seeds in them and, and make it about other things. And it's, this is what this is about. Uh, uh, it, it's about uh, a fruit that's produced in, in life that's in, in kept in accordance with living out the Word of God in relationship with Christ. That's what's happening there. And so... Um, uh, and you've probably seen these things demonstrated. You, you've seen people who heard the Word and they, they asked a couple of questions, but... They were gone. And you saw other people who really sort wow, that's, that's really good, and then something, and they don't make it. And then you see others that sort of plug in for a while, and they've got it, and then life just sort of chokes it back out of them again because they don't get the roots where they need to. And then you know, other people make it. They, they hang in. They, they decide that this is the way they're going to live and the way they're going to walk and that it's worth it to them. And, and, and they begin then to produce the fruit that we're talking about. And uh, so it becomes a very part of the process. Now, as he was teaching this to his disciples, see, they were expecting something different, the people. What they were expecting was that Messiah was going to turn Israel and nations to himself right then. But what they got was that individuals had to choose how they would respond to the invitation of the word. They weren't expecting that. Now, when Jesus comes back, one of the things we know is that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord what they're expecting is going to happen when he comes back the next time. But if you haven't done it this time, it doesn't matter. It's too late for people. It's not a chance. See, that's the life. Listen, this life, the main priority of this life is a decision. I don't know how many of you get that. But, but the big deal in this life is a decision we have to make. Are we going to follow Christ or not? Everybody gets that. That's the big decision in everybody's life. And, and if you make it early... In life, then, then with it comes a life of service and, and all sorts of other things that happen. People that make it later, it's still valid, but it's just different. But see, that's the, that's the decision of life. That's the, the big question everybody has to answer. That's the deal. That's what all this is about. We get it all, we think it's about a lot of other things. If you start to summarize it, it's about one decision that has to be made. Will you follow Christ or not? So everything else is, is moving you in that direction. I really believe that um, God so desires relationship with us that I think almost everything is always moving us towards a relationship with Christ if we don't know him. And then afterwards, he's always moving other things in life. But I really watch people's lives all the time. 
And it seems to me that there's a series of things that are always moving him in the direction until they just say, you know, so blatantly rejected that he can't get through. But um, That's how much God loves people. He's always moving on them and moving in them and drawing them in so that they can respond to this major question. And, and, uh, and so what they were looking for was what's going to happen when he comes back the next time. So they couldn't receive it when he said now. And he's telling them, listen, this time they don't have to turn to me. It's a choice. It's, it's all on them. Because I only want people that want to choose. Not, and nobody forced makes it in. Only people who choose to out of response to love. So that's what happens in that first parable. Now, in the next parable, the wheat and the tares, that's Matthew 13, uh, 24. And it says, wow, what a difference. Um, <laughs> I'm struggling like this going, yeah, I don't need them. And then it's like, there's words on the page, I'm sure. <laughs> Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Weeds sprouted and formed heads, and then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow, sir, didn't you sow good seed in the field? Where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. Then the servants asked him, Do you want us to pull them up? No, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may pull up the, the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. Now, um, he fortunately, he explains that for him too in 37. In verse 37, he says, the, son, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the word of the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. All right, um, here, here's what happens and, and why they can't get it. See, what they're expecting now, what they're expecting is... The Davidic kingdom set back up again, and they're all part of the ruling class. They get to rule the world. That's what they're looking for. That's what the promise looks like, is that when Messiah comes, they get to rule with him. And so for people that have been oppressed now for, for hundreds, almost a thousand years, this is good. See, because there's some vengeance in that. There's, uh, <laughs> wait till we're in charge. Right? And, and it's it spread into the... The disciples never get it because the, the entire life of the disciples... Remember they keep the big thing I think they're arguing about? Who's the greatest in the kingdom? Why do they want to know that so bad? Because it's, they know that oh, it's all about. We get to rule this whole process. And so that's what they're expecting to come. But what they get was that the citizens of the kingdom would, would be living among the people of the world until the harvest is complete. And that's not what they wanted. That's not what they were looking for. Well, we've already got that. What's so good about that? Well, it's a good thing because we, we get to serve him. See, the, the thing is, and you, why was Jesus telling them, uh, you got it wrong. It's not about being a leader. It's about being a servant because they couldn't handle this concept. See, we, we will one day rule with him. That's part of the promise. But it's next time. Now we serve. But he didn't come. See, when he came, notice how he never ruled. He served. He said, no, no, no. And it, the whole time he was teaching them, guys, it's not about. It's about serving. The, the greatest among you will be the one who serves. You have to serve. And so what we have in this age is that we live as the sons of God among the people of the world who are not yet saved. And until the end of the, the age, at the, at the end of the harvest, when trumpet sounds, we're called to be light. 
and salt and witness and share and tell and serve and encourage and drag people in and snatch them away from the fire and do all those things. See, that's what it means, and he's trying to tell them that. But, but the people who don't want to hear it don't hear it. But, but that's what happens in that whole parable and what's going on there. And then he teaches them the, the parables of the mustard seed and the yeast or the leaven. And in this case, he's talking about something that starts very small and then spreads. And see, what they were expecting was that the kingdom would be established in majesty and glory. And what they were getting was a kingdom that was starting out in what seemed to be almost insignificant ways. And they were like, that's not what we were up, that's not what we signed up for. We want you to come back and wipe out Rome completely and set us up in charge. And, and you're going to do it because you're God and you're going to come down out of heaven and lightning and wow, and we'll step up to bat. And what they got was a carpenter whose, whose parents they knew and whose brothers and sisters they knew and, and came from this little dinky place. And remember this where they're saying, who is this guy? And who does he think he is? Don't we know his whole family? What's he talking about? This isn't what we were looking for. We were looking for this big deal. This can't be our king. Then, verses 44 from 36, two more parables. And it's the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. Um, These are probably my favorite. Ooh, it's five after eight. I'm so sorry. Two of my favorite parables. Um, they teach us about the value of Jesus. He's, see, He is the treasure hidden in the field, and, and He is the pearl of great price, and there's nothing more valuable in establishing a relationship with Him. Here's what happens, though. When you figure that out, when you, when you sort of look back, do you, do you know what else is true? That you, to Jesus, are the treasure hidden in the field and the pearl of great price, and He did everything He could to have a relationship with you. He went to the cross. It's, it's a great parable of what happening in that process. What the, 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 the Israelites were expecting was that the kingdom would provide all the things that they valued and what they got was an exhortation to let it all go and seek the kingdom first in that process. And then there's one more parable. It's the parable of the net. And, and uh, uh, what they expected was that the kingdom would start with the separation of the righteous and the unrighteous. And what they found out was that that's how the kingdom would end. They'd get separated then. And between then, they'd all be together. Okay, uh, I'm going to shut it down there because I'm running late. I don't like to do that. Sorry. Um, if you're watching on the Internet and you have prayer needs, let us know. If you're in the venue, uh, Scott and Pam will pray with you. Who's ever there, pray with you. We're going to shut it down here and pass up your prayer requests, and I would be happy to pray for you here.